Yes. Hello. Hi. Hey, Vicky. I'm so happy to see you guys. I miss you guys. And I want to see you live so badly. So, all right. This I this is me, Vicki Abelson, with the immediate family. And now we're all different on each other's screens, but we've got Denny Tedesco, filmmaker of uh yes, of the immediate family doc, which is coming out. We've got Cooch, Danny Korchmar up there for me. We've got Russ Conkle. We've got Leland yes. Sklar. We've got Wadi Wachtel. We have my old friend, Steve Postel. And um, all together, this is going to be, uh, I don't know who the spokesman is going to be today or if we're going to be all over the place, but I'm really excited. Okay. So um, has anybody in this group not had COVID? Oh, wow. That's pretty good. Okay. So, oh. so that's, and you, and you're traveling, you travel and, and you haven't. This Some is, of us do more than others, tra traveling-wise. Yeah. Have you have you not been traveling as much? No, I haven't been going anywhere. Okay, I haven't either, and so and it's work because you haven't. But Russ, Russ and Lee have been out for months, you know. So, well, one of them, fifty percent of them, had COVID. So <laughs> this is this is a real source of contention. Are you COVID compatible with the people in your lives? I'm not compatible with anyone in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, that's a good setup. Yeah, because I don't even know. I don't even know what that means. But in other words, in other words, do does Shannon get? Um, is she? Does she travel with you? Oh, Shauna. Shauna, I'm sorry. Oh God. Uh, sometimes she does. Yeah, and she, she hasn't so had it. Either. She hasn't had it either. So you guys have managed to travel and not get it. Correct. Do you mask? Uh, when traveling, yes. Okay. Yeah. Are, do you guys still mask? When yes. I'm traveling. Absolutely. I okay. just use my beard. <laughs> it's working well. Yeah, it's a filter. So is life back to normal for all right? Okay, so Cooch, you you really aren't, but but you're playing out though. You play out with, with the immediate family. Well with the boys, yeah. We're, and we're about to go out towards the end of this year, which I'm looking forward to. Where, so so where where are you where are you guys going? Where are we going, guys? Uh, we're going around Los Angeles. California. Coach House. Coach House. Coach House. Coach yeah, House. All, all the, Steve, all you've the got the dates. All the canyon clubs. All Steve, the canyon you've got clubs. the dates for us. Give us the dates, yeah, Steve. Steve. Give us the dates, man. Uh, 18th of November. Uh, the 12th of November is Santa Clarita. Okay. Which is, these canyon. are all canyon clubs. Canyon to yeah, Santa, Santa Clarita. The 18th is the Canyon Club. Where? That's Agura, right? That's vague. I think so. That's that's Agura. That's Agura. Okay. Yeah. The nineteenth is a there's a canyon club in Montclair. Montclair, right. I don't even know where Mon Montclair is in New Jersey. In Jersey. Yeah. Is it? That, that, that's not the one you're going to. Montclair's Montclair's east. Out that's where David Lindley lives. lives. He's in Claremont. That's so close. <laughs> yeah. So, so in other words, Cooch, you're traveling all the way to to Claremont or to yeah, Montclair. And that's, that's and that's too far. And that's the kind of traveling I've been doing as well. But you've stayed healthy and haven't gotten COVID. Correct. Do you go to indoor? Do you go to movies? No, not anymore. Me, do you go to indoor restaurants? Uh, we usually sit outside when okay, I go. See, see, now you're my kind of guy. This, this is this is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. The COVID crazy land. Okay, so. Has 
life other than for for Cooch and I? Has life gone back to normal for you guys? Is yeah. is are your careers back to normal? Life back? To, yes, Russ. Tell 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 me how. Well, um, I, I, for me, yeah, life is kind of back to normal. I mean, I, when I travel, I wear a mask, but other than that, I'm kind of looking at it as, you know, let's get on with this. So you know. you're going in. You're going to indoor restaurants. You're going. To, you'd go to a concert. And well, you play concerts indoors. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you guys still get tested all the time when you're when you're touring? Are you getting tested, Wadi? Yes, we get tested every day. You get tested every day. Every day. Has I, any, I, I I test once a week, no matter what, because I'm, you know. Because you're COVID crazy like me, right? I just want to, you know, I don't want to give it to anyone else, so. It's, I love that, Steve. Safest that's very, way. It's that's very responsible. That's really. Do you get those? Do you know about the eight free tests a month that you're entitled to from the government? Yes, that's you a good one. Yeah, there you go. Um, and and so Lee, is it bad? You, Lee, you aren't really. You yes, you were a little Kobe crazy because I remember you going to the senior the senior citizens Trader Joe's shopping thing right at like seven. Well, when when COVID first hit, you know, when they started to offer that, like you know, an hour before the stores right. would open the markets and stuff that they would allow seniors in. And I figure there's got to be some perk with turning old. So <laughs> I went there. And then the thing is, you walk in the store and you realize they haven't restocked the shelves. Yeah, they before. So you go in and there's nothing in there. Is that true? Yeah, it was bullshit. Gelson's, Ralph's, none of those places. The shelves were all empty. They were just starting to stock them. So by the time they got anything on the shelves, it was back to normal hours for people. Uh -huh. So it was, uh, I think, a gesture done to make them look like they gave a shit, <laughs> but they didn't. And, um, but, you know, if I if I, I I'll always carry a mask with me. And if I go into a place that's looking a little on the funky side, I'll put the mask on. But I'm not putting it on constantly. But I, I also I mean, I've had both my shots and I've had three boosters. We sound like dogs now. I've had my shots. And... Yeah, well, it's it's kind of, you know, we always treat our dogs better. There's no arguments about giving my dogs, you know, vaccinations, you know, but when it comes to people, everybody goes out of their fucking minds over this. Do you know that only one third of Americans have had a booster shot? Yeah. That was shocking. I was shocked yeah. to hear that. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's Somebody's computer's dinging. I don't know how to stop it. If you go into your notifications and turn off, uh, put on do not disturb, oh. it'll it'll take that away. So, Danny, how about you? You're are you back to normal in your life? Yeah, and in, yeah, in a weird way because um, you know the film industry kind of like jumped back in pretty quickly uh, because they really set up systems of you know of safety. And so uh, Soderbergh, did... Soderbergh was the one that actually was in charge of that. If really? you guys remember, yeah, Steven Soderbergh, and he did. Um, what did he do? He well, he, he was you know he had done that movie. Um, oh God, help me, guys. Sex lies and no, 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 no. That yeah, that too. Yeah. It has nothing to do with the virus, <laughs> a different virus. Um, but it was he did. Um, oh God, outbreak. One of those movies, yeah. like ten years before. Yeah. And they went to him because he has such research done. And if you watch that movie, it looked like. Are you kidding me? Bad, honest to God, you look like a bad TV movie. I love him. When I say I that, it was because everything he has said in that movie 10 years before was happening in real time with us. It was coming out of the planet. I have to watch planet, this movie. This is market. crazy. Yeah, I, it was amazing. So they put him in charge of trying to get the industry back, you know, you got to do this. You got to do this. And it was, it's still going on. You, they're pretty safety conscious, 
but that industry is always constantly there's not one thing that's the same any day so they can move quickly you know you so get an how, art department can move quickly so um first show show us show us your t-shirt denny tedesco <laughs> guess who's what my, he is who's my favorite <laughs> i don't want to say my favorite in the band because it might upset a few people <laughs> that's an hysterical shirt is that part of your swag deal Link? No, it's just it was it was another crazy thing to do during COVID when you had no life ahead of you and you're looking at all these things to do to try to you know, make every day feel constructive because we all all of us had, you know, we would look in our books two years, two and a half years ago and everybody had things in them. And then overnight it was like a fart in a hurricane. It just <laughs> blew away. And and next thing you know, you're you're looking at pages of emptiness and, you know, what am I going to do now? And yeah, so I, we all just found different ways of, of doing things. And uh, certainly as a band, we were, we were ending up doing these acapella videos where we could put videos together, but not actually being together. Um, there was, you know, there was a lot of communication, but not hands-on communication. A lot of this kind of thing, right? I, yeah. yeah. I, can I say something about these yes. guys? And I'm not kissing their asses because I'm already past that now. But <laughs> You've already made the movie. Yeah, I already made the movie's done. Um, <laughs> When we started the film, it was pre-COVID, and we'll get into that later, but once COVID hit, the world stopped. This is what I want to talk about right now. How, how, so where were you? And I, but I watched the, well, I was far enough, I mean, I had all of our stars almost. I mean, I had Carol King interviewed Linda Jackson, James, Phil Collins. And you had all that in the can already. That was already in the can. So when that March came around, I was like, oh, my God, we don't have the guys, you know, and we didn't have much of you guys at all. Oh, you didn't have these guys. No, we didn't have these guys, the movie. So we slowly went back, you know, a few months. We Who knew where it was going to go? So then we finally decided, let's play safe. It was just a cameraman and a soundman and myself, and we would go to each of their houses, and we start doing those interviews in a safe, you know, manner. in a weird way, it kind of gave us a break also to learn about each other as well. I mean, the time, the distance also. But my compliment to these guys, most people, most musicians, and many probably did, just, eh, whatever, that was it, moved off, you know, wait till the work com- came back. They never stopped. They were doing those videos, which blew my mind because they did it, they like you said, by themselves. Mm-hmm. And... And they they never stopped writing, never stopped playing. And I, that's the greatest compliment for these guys. I mean, it really still blows my mind because it's easy to walk away and take the easy road and just hang out. They didn't. I, so, I agree. And you didn't either. We're, we're going to come back to how the film was impacted. But so, Lee, um, you were you you on one show of mine said, I'm thinking about putting together this book. And the next time I saw you, you, it was published. Everybody loves me. So you, and you also, well, I don't want to talk about what you did. Tell us about the YouTube channel. Like how did the YouTube channel get started? Well, um, a a real quick thing, because I really want to stay focused on, on us as a band. But when we had finished a Phil Collins tour, the Not Dead Yet tour, and I had a few guys writing to me saying, oh, yeah, we saw you guys, but it was like in a stadium and it was kind of hard to hear all the parts and everything. And I just thought, what the hell? I, I got a board mix of one of our shows 
and I pl plugged it into my laptop, put it, put a little Bose speaker next to my laptop and a little bass amp down here next to me on the floor. And I played the first song of the show and played along with it, but mixed it into my phone so that the bass was a little bit louder. And each day I would do an, the, ne the next song. And by the third day, I had people writing to me going, man, we love your YouTube channel. And I'm going, what are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, I had no idea it would turn. It was a YouTube channel by posting a couple of videos. And uh, now it's it's up to like a, almost a, about 1,100 videos now. And there's uh, over 200,000 people on the channel. Of course there are. So, so it's been great. I mean, because it's made me address things. I, I, I talk a great deal about the band and it's really fun because people are asking me when when they can see the band, what's going on with the movie and all this stuff. So it's a good format for all that. And it's also made me address my career because like the other guys, I'm the kind of guy that thinks about today and tomorrow. I don't I don't dwell in yesterday. Yesterday already happened. And but it's required me to kind of go back and dig through all this material that I've worked on over the past half a century. and. So I've done that. I've shown all these different bass parts to things, but there's also things where I'm just turning people onto music that they've said they would have, they write back and they say, we would have never known about this had we not seen wow, it. Wow, how yeah. great is so that? It's been a real education. And I love I, I love that kind of stuff. Um, not so much the playing, but just the kind of, I mean, the thing I'm really excited about when, when we go to the premieres of these is the Q&As. I'm always curious about what people are, thinking about things and happy to answer when when possible and uh it'll be it, it i think the thing i'm most excited about that i'm looking forward to beyond hearing our new album finished um which is really the some of the best which is called right now the working title the best record ever made well, or it, it may it may <laughs> stick because it sure as hell is um but i think the thing that's going to be really fun to do is to sit with an audience and watch this movie because i've seen rough cuts twice now but when we're doing it it's the band and production team and stuff oh so you guys haven't okay because i know it's going out to festivals but you guys haven't sat down and had no they've seen it well screen, seen, but you haven't it, had a screen you to... haven't had a screen no, no. no. So to, to sit in an audience with a real audience and see what their response is going to be, Absolutely. it's going to be really fascinating whether, you know. Did it, you guys watch it together or did you all see it separately? You did. Yeah. Well, that must have been a very, uh, that must have been quite it's an weird. experience. It was was weird. it nervous? Were you guys nervous? Yeah. It was really? Odd. It's odd to see, you know, something about yourself and your brothers uh, for an hour and a half talking about us. It was kind of bizarre. How did Denny do? Denny Fabulous. Great. Fabulous. Amazing. Denny who? <laughs> Wadi. <laughs> I can't wait. So, so Wadi, uh, uh, for you during this time, during these last two, it, okay, is life back to normal for you? No, I don't think life is ever going to be back to normal. You know? I agree. Yeah. Life is yeah. fucking ruined because of uh, what's happened. So normal is now wear a mask every time I go anywhere and... Uh, no, life is not normal. You know, I mean, I can enjoy my life and I enjoy being home with my wife and our, our, our animals and our stuff, but uh, no, life is completely altered, you know. Is it, is it, for totally me, different. I haven't traveled yet. I haven't gotten on a plane. I don't do indoor stuff. Is it traumatic, since you have this a similar sensibility, is it traumatic to, to travel? Well, we travel in... Uh, 
an entire bubble, you know, everything there. For example, uh, with with Stevie's situation, uh-huh. there are no more guest passes. There are no more backstage visits. Wives can't come. Girlfriends can't come. Oh. There are no, and, and because of that, promoters have really clamped down on giving the artist the amount of free tickets they used to get because they want to fill every seat. So so it's kind of like being in the twilight zone, really. You know, you're 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 ushered in, you're wearing masks. The only time the, the two and a half hours we play, we're we're free. The right. masks are off, we get to be what we want, we get to do mm-hmm. what we want. As soon as we come off that stage, the masks are back on. And it's uh, Are you flying private? Yeah. Yeah. And so has it imp- has it not it, impacted the band because you guys are doing it this way? We're all flying private right now. No, no, no. I mean, has has COVID not impacted the band? Because every touring band I know has been shut down or stopped uh, for a while. Or it hasn't. It hasn't affected the tour. Mm-hmm. But I mean, but I got it when we came back from our June run. I wound up with it. I was I was isolated for a week. And before how, we started, how do you think you got it if you were flying private? I don't really know how I got it. It's very unusual because we were, you know, flying private. We were bubbled up. We were masked up. All I knew was by the third day I was home, I didn't feel right. And mm-hmm. I took an antigen test and it was positive. And then uh, Steve's assistant, Karen, who I call wife number two, <laughs> uh, wife number three, Stevie being wife number two, mm-hmm. Uh, came out and gave me a PCR test and it was positive. And I don't know how I got it. And on that flight, Stevie and I were sitting there talking to each other without masks on and sharing. And she didn't food. get it? She did not get it, no. Wow. That's the weird so part. We don't, we don't understand how I got it. That and, is crazy. Uh, before we went out this time, two of the guys got COVID. But they got cleared before we started rehearsing. And so nothing's, not, nothing's brewed up to stop the show so far. And and how what, were you, was it okay for you? Did you not get it bad? It was okay. It was I had a I felt like I had a bad cold for a couple of days and then I was mm-hmm. fine. I took uh that Paxlovid. Drug, yeah. And it worked. It gives you a unbelievably horrible taste in your mouth, but uh I have that anyway, so uh, <laughs> you know, life. So, so it wasn't so, that unusual. <laughs> So, Wadi, yeah. during the uh, during the whole shutdown and all of that stuff, how, how you've been? How long have you been back out on the road and stuff? We just started. We just started about a uh, a week ago. We we oh we started, brand new jazz Aspen. We did that. Then we just went to Ravinia for two nights, and now uh, uh, we played Pine Knob last night, and now we're in uh, Jersey. We're going to play this festival here in a couple of days. And we have we have a bunch more gigs to do, and we're coming back and doing more in October. This is the most gig we've done in a while, so it's going to be wonderful. So, what was it like for you not doing that for so long? Well, it's like when we were talking about Denny was talking about us being prolific and doing mm-hmm. what we do. My version of that is if I didn't band, no, I lost my mind completely. We had this band to focus on, and that kept everything in check. We always had an outlet for you know, our insanity or our normality or whatever, our music. 
we could pour it into this band. Without the band, I don't know what I would have been doing. I'd probably be in jail for having killed someone. <laughs> and did you, were you pro, were you productive and prolific? Aside, I mean, did you wake up in the morning with, with energy and like, all right, I'm going to do this today? Did anybody fuck off? That's what I want to know. Did anybody here fuck off? We worked. We worked. We've written this album we're working on with there's 14 new songs on this album and we, you know, composed all of them. We so wrote two fantastic. albums. Two yeah. albums. Very yeah. Wow. So we've been, we've been, without the band, I don't know what would have happened. And you all wrote? All of you songwriters in here wrote? The th uh, you all have you all have songs on this album, I assume. The bulk of us wrote, yes. Yeah. Is that is that the longest you guys have never played live in your life in your careers? I would say so. Yeah. I mean, this is a, this is Steve, we Stevie and I we have been on the road for three years. Stevie was the first one to pull out of uh, the New Orleans Jazz Festival. Then it shut down. You know that was like two and a half years ago. Uh, we had a whole bunch of gigs booked and she just said, I'm not doing it. So we're out there. This is the first time in almost three years. And that's very long for her. And yeah. she, and she didn't get COVID the whole deal. No. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. I'm, I'm great. so happy to hear that. Okay. So I'm coming back to you. So Russ, for you, you, you were saying you're kind of back to, uh, so what was, you were doing this stuff with with the immediate family. What what else was your life like during during all this stuff that was going on the last two and a half years? Oh, it was pretty much like everyone else's. You know, when when we had things on the books or Zoom meetings or or video parts to make, we all did that. But you know, masking up, going to the store, you know, doing normal life. I I live in San Clemente, so uh, I got to do some outdoor things. I did some surfing and played some golf and tried to be normal. But Leland and I were just out on the road with Lyle Lovett for almost yes, months. Yes, I, I, and so, how, okay, so now how was that, you guys didn't get sick on that tour. That Was that, were you guys in a bubble on that tour? Well, I would say it was a semi-bubble. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, at one point, the large band, which is 15, 16 people, got down to just the rhythm section in Lyle. <laughs> And Lyle got COVID. The horn section got COVID. All the singers got COVID. We're yes, traveling with, we, we were traveling, doing shows with Chris Isaac. His whole band went down and, and canceled a bunch of shows. How did so, you guys do it when it was just the rhythm section? And you did it with just the rhythm section and Lyle? You did shows? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was Jim Cox, Leland, myself, and uh, wow. James Hara. And, uh, and we played it, you know, and did it. I with, guess you uh, couldn't it do Lyle, it when so. Lyle was out, though. That, no, that we did. What? Wait, what? Because <laughs> he was on his own bus, and what happened was that when he got it, he would stay on. He stayed on his bus, and he wore his mask, and he would come in. We were set up, and we set up quite far away. I mean, it must have looked a little weird to the audience. Uh, we were at least fifteen feet away from him. Uh, and uh, he came in, did the shows, and then went right back on his bus and left. So he did the shows with he, COVID. Yeah, he was foolish. Wow. He felt fatigued, but he wasn't really down, and the audience wouldn't know that he had it. You know, he he. It's not like he was laid wow. out or anything like that. He's a real, you know, trooper. So, but wow. he, put, he didn't put anybody else in in a in a vulnerable situation with him. Up there. At a certain point, we just had to say, we got to do this shit out here. I mean, everybody had had been 
had been vaccinated and most had 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 at least one booster. Mm -hmm. So even if anybody in the band got sick, it really wasn't bad. And we and as like Wadi said too, I mean we had no after show, no backstage, no right. interaction with people, no family practically coming out on the road. It was really a a, a bubble. But the problem was we had three different buses. And yeah, I was going to say if you if you were doing it like that, how did everybody get sick? Well, it really was only two guys that got sick, but the two guys were on a, a bus that was full of people, so they mm. basically had to quarantine that bus. I see. And but the guys weren't all sick, but it just was one of those situations not to take a chance, and they waited for the guys who were sick to clear, and then I they see. then they all rejoined the tour. Um, but it was interesting. I mean, just suddenly taking a show that we had built around you know, 16 people and having to suddenly do it, not missing nine and, uh, and rearranging and stuff. It kept everybody on their toes. That's for sure. I what? bet. How long was the tour? Almost three months. Wow. So, all right. That's a lot it going was six, on. It was 60, it was 60 shows in 74 days. Holy Absolutely shit. insane. Holy. So now you guys pretty much, to play everything together. I mean, you, I mean, you guys have been together and on the road together and in the studio together for like 50 years, like on everything. Is that pretty much? Yeah. So is there something you've got the immediate family stuff coming up in November? Is there something else? What's coming up next for you guys? Um, we're going to talk about the immediate family mostly. I'm just getting this stuff out of the way. But is That's what's, what's next, next for you two? The immediate family. That's what's next. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, so that, Cooch. That's that's it. That's it. For the All rest right. Of I love, I, <laughs> you know what? I hope that happens for you guys. Well, I with Stevie, I, I don't know how you do that, but I I hope that that happens for you, that you guys are so goddamn busy that Wadi can't even do Stevie. I'd love to to see you guys just get what you deserve here. Cooch, so <laughs> what, what, so you've been much more laid back. You haven't been out on the road. You're not doing the indoor stuff. So, but I know you haven't been slacking during during the pandemic. You've been doing a lot of writing, haven't you? I'm always writing. You know, I'm always trying trying out new stuff. And you know, I'm not the body is the same thing. It's, I'm just always trying to come up with new stuff. Remember, I have this incredible band as a as my muse, so I can write something. If the fellas dig it, we can go ahead and and, and make a record out of it. And play it on the road. So it's wonderful to have this outlet, which keeps me writing and keeps me coming up with ideas. Can you give me an Can you give me an example of something recently that sparked you to start a song? Well, I, I would love to because you have you are one of the greatest rock and roll songwriters of all time. Good. And I'm not kick, I'm not kissing your ass. This is I this is just the facts. What a so mm -hmm. so can I'm just like how the somebody's baby how do you write how do you write so okay so you've written two from what i understand you have one album coming out but you've written two albums worth of songs is right you you guys have written a lot of songs yeah, the next uh, the, the thing that's about to come out yeah yeah we uh well there's 14 songs on there which is yeah. you know a we, lot we could get away with 10 but a lot we kept writing you know and uh, kept coming up with great ideas and uh, let's go you know we love the studio. We love to record, and we're good at it. We're very good at it. 
you certainly are very good at so, so i'm serious i maybe this is a bizarre question i've never asked anybody this but can you give me an example of like something that sparked you to write one of these songs well you know you have to go back to when i was 10 years old and uh, you know richard elvis presley chuck berry Pat domino then the beatles uh, motown then the Beatles. so all of it all of it. yeah but no but i mean with the specific song that you've just written like were you like eating something and you go oh I mean, like, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. No, no, do you wake up? Do you wake up with lyrics? Do you wake up hearing? How does it come? Well, I've done that a couple of times, but mostly it's it's over a long process. You know, uh, I don't force it. I'm not somebody that sits down and goes, "Well, now I'm going to write from from one to, to four or from ten. I just, you know, keep my antenna up so that um, uh, I'll be I'll, I'll I'll be I'll notice when when a good idea arrives. Uh, Keith do you Richards, always have well, something? Do you Keith always Richards have used it? To call it incoming. Incoming means good ideas coming in. Do you always have something around to write? Do you write on nap? Do, do you always have something to write? Yeah. On? Yeah, I write on. Well, I work on my guitars, and I also have several pads. I scribble down everything I can think of, you know, lyrically. Stuff do you, like that. Do you start recording to your iPhone if you have an idea like that? Sure I do, yeah. Mm -hmm. I also, you know, I do a lot of co-writing with Wadi. So, uh, you know, if either of us comes up with a good idea, we get together and we uh, start banging it around. And it's like, I don't know what the process is. We just start banging yeah. away, you know. And then um, something comes out of it. It just happens, you know. You have a line. Either you have a start, a melodic start of something that is solid, and I play it for Danny, and he right away hears something for it, or he has he has a solid, but there's one set missing, so I'll supply that. There's no formula. There's no formula, but we're always like you said, the antenna is always up, and you're always looking. We don't. We're writing down titles all the time. You know, it's always oh, that's a good title. That's a good title. You know, whether it becomes a song or not, doesn't matter. Years later. All of a sudden, what was that line? And you find that line. And there it is still, you know. Did, it wasn't, I thought it was really fascinating to, to what I love to get back. But it was really fascinating to see the process with those guys. And, yeah. you know, I used to think Paul was kind of, I, I was a kind of a Paul hater. I heard he was like a taskmaster and all this stuff. Man, if he wouldn't have been there, that shit wouldn't have gotten done. Wow, was he just <laughs> on the brain the wrong way. Yeah, they were all great in their own way. Um, so, Mr. Postel, you have been uh, a busy, uh, talk about busy, you have all kinds of things going on. So are you still, have you been producing other artists through the pandemic? A little bit, I, I've- um, You're focusing on the immediate family? Yeah, I, it, the, the um, it's become clear that producing is, is a, ask Danny, it, it drains the crap out of you, you know? And I had this revelation. I went and played a solo concert and I went, I just had a really great time. And I would have had to be 12 hours in the studio with someone with music I didn't love to make the same amount of money and not have nearly as much fun. So mm -hmm. I'll do it. Uh, if, but at this point, I, I really want to really love the music. Uh, I'm doing a fun thing on Monday with Lisa Loeb, and it's really it's it's. What, what are you doing? It's a song that that she and Rob Morrow wrote, and it's really fun, and I'm looking forward to that. But it's one song, and it's a fun song. It's great people. Um, so, but this, you know, the, we we've been 
really slogging away at this this we've put a lot of time into this last record and uh and i know you had a gig uh this past weekend with with lee and uh steve ferroni and jeff pivar and and uh the night train music club it was this the first time that you put this back to get have you been doing this all along yeah i've been playing every two about every two months at, at mccabe's with different different you know we did one Albert Lee played and Alfonso Johnson. It's just a fun thing that I did. And Russ and Leland played and he came down. Waddy was going to do it, but he had to go out with somebody. It's just a fun thing. I won't do it. <laughs> it's a, it's a non-rehearsal thing that, that uh, just, just a, you know, I just need to play something. Okay, so let's talk for those people who are tuning in who haven't seen uh you guys talk before let's talk about how you guys came to to form the immediate family so your history goes back is it 50 is it 50 years it's 50 years okay, okay so when you i i know the answers to these questions but i'm going to ask them anyway for the people that don't so 50 years ago it was for james taylor was that the first coming together that was the first coming together and that was instigated by peter asher is that okay so had had how did how so it was the first thing was was the three of you right was was lee and russick so what was the first thing you guys worked on together i don't know sweet baby james no it was after that it was the next one when, when the three right. of us. i thought you did sweet baby james though i did yeah but I don't think Leland was. And I did. No, I wasn't. Yeah. There. I wasn't there till what was it? One Man Dog or Mudslide? Mudslide Slim, I think. Mudslide. Sweet. Um, Mudslide Slim. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you're right. So Leland, Leland toured with us early. Uh, Leland, Danny, Carol, myself, and James did a, a bunch of early touring right after Sweet Baby James. Who was the Who was the bass player on Sweet Baby James? Bobby Wild Bobby Wild West, West played some stuff. I think um, Randy Meisner played on it. Yeah. yeah right. so, but really? so Lee, you Lee, you jumped in and you were doing you were touring it with them. Yeah. Um I had met James, but they had already recorded that album when I met James. And uh, so they they he remembered me from a time we had met. And so when it came time to play the troubadour and start working, um, Cooch was in place and Russ was in place and Carol King was in place, but they re they really hadn't settled on a bass player. So everybody else was busy and I was available. So that I ended up doing the gig thinking it was going to be one gig and it turned into the, basically the rest of my life so far. So, and, and did you guys know as soon as you started playing together, this is magic, this is special, this is different, this is what I want to do? Yes. Yeah. So you were an immediate family as soon as you came together pretty much correct and you was it your intention to stay together as the section or did it just evolve that way it evolved it evolved into that and so wadi how do you come into this i was playing with linda peter asher had approached me he saw me well actually you know it's funny i played with carol with these guys um on that thoroughbred record mm -hmm. And that was the first time we all played together. And now do you know when it's the four of you? Okay, 
this is what we want. We want this. Do you know? Well, yes. Yeah, we, we knew it, it was so easy to play with my brothers. Every time we try to play, it was there was no question about it. Mm -hmm. But uh, Peter approached me to come play for James. I got hired on, uh, I don't know what album that was, but it was uh, Nothing Like 100 Miles and uh, Woman Gotta Have It. Those are the first maybe. songs. What was it? Gorilla or Jay or... In the Pocket or Gorilla? In the Pocket. Man in the pocket, I think, yeah. And that's the first time I went in the studio. Yeah, Clarence McD was playing piano. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then shortly after that, James and Peter asked me if I'd go on the road with these guys. And uh, that was it. We've been together ever since then. You know, and we, did, uh, you, did, did you guys ever, t well, you, there was the section, there was the instrumental sec section, yeah. right? But was the hope always to have it evolve to what it's become was that was that or or did that just evolve was that ever anything you guys discussed it evolved if i could say tell this one day the guys invited me to come play with the section and i was knocked out just by the idea that they would want me to go do that and craig Durgy was there and i showed up and we played and the section was this amazing you know jazzy kind of rock and roll stuff that they did this, I don't know if you call it fusion or whatever you call it, but it was intense stuff. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, you had to have your chops up to play it. And we played a couple of songs and it was great fun and everything. And, and But I said, you know, I got to tell you guys, you know, you, you've played on more hit records than anybody in this town. But for some reason, this is the kind of music you want to do. And for me, I can't really do this. You know, I, I'm more into singing. I'm more into singing rock and roll songs and stuff. So if you guys ever decide that you want to do that, I'm in. And now that's what happened. That's what we all decided. And we're in. You know, that's how it came about. Wow. Um, okay, so now. It took a while. If if we're looking at, if we're looking at the immediate family though at this point, mm -hmm. then the, the catalyst that really brought this together is Cooch. Yeah. Okay, so uh, let's talk about that. Let's talk about how Steve came to uh, because before you became the immediate family, Steve and Cooch uh, came together because I know you guys did my book launch six years ago. So okay, so Steve, how did you meet Cooch and how did how did you then become a part of this family that's been together for so long? Uh, well, I was um, making a record and uh, Russ's son, Nathaniel Kunkel, ended up mixing that record. And I picked him because he mixed a record of of, uh, of uh, Nash, Graham Nash. Maybe, was it, I don't know if it was Graham or, or David and Graham that sounded so damn good. It was very similar to the music I was making. So I said, I want that guy. It turned out to be Nathaniel. And he invited me to the Troubadour. So I already knew Lee. I had met Russ. Uh, and uh, I introduced myself to Danny. And I said, hey, when you come back to LA, let's let's get together. So, so we did. We had some mutual friends. We ended up playing some acoustic guitars at a party and it kind of, it's kind of like what happened with all these guys. It was just sort of clicked. It was just like, oh yeah. Oh wow, we play well together, don't we? 
<laughs> and then I had this night train music. You hired me for a record. What? Yeah. Then you hired me for some record you were doing. Yeah, yeah, the same that same record. I, you know, so I yeah. had, I'd, I'd met Waddy. We had a mutual friend, this guy Dan Nash, and I said, boy, I'd love to have Waddy on a tune. And sure enough, he showed up, and played amazing stuff as always. So then I met Dan. It didn't, then then. Uh, well, Danny will tell you what, you know, and then Danny and I went to Japan, not with the immediate family, with a thing called Daniel Kortzmar and Friends. Danny had a solo album. Right. So now, and who else was with you guys when you went there? That was, um, who was it? Uh, who was on drums, Steve? Jeff a, Young went, right? Jeff Young. Oh. Jeff Young went, Bob Cloud on bass, and uh, the drummer was uh, Steve, Steve Holly. Steve Holly. Oh, I love Steve Holly. Fabulous. So, that okay, was, so and and what year was that that you guys did that? Oh, I don't know. It was uh, how many 45. years ago, approximately? <laughs> A couple of years. Forty-five or something like that. Uh, seven or, or twenty or, or something like that. So okay, so you go to Japan and so, oh, keep going, Steve. Well, it, at the same time that that was happening, I think the reason we went. They, they were there was a label interested in in Danny, mm -hmm. uh, and and I don't know if they. I know they were they came to the gigs whether they knew you, you can take the story but, the Japan connection, was the next step in this and I'll let Danny take it from there. Do you want me to continue, Victoria? I do. All right. So, uh, I was offered a deal to um, make a solo record for a, a Japanese label. And of course, it was practically no money, very little money. And I just assumed, I, you know, I, I had a bunch of oldies, stuff that I'd written with Jackson, stuff I'd written with Henley, and uh, like that, you know. So uh, stuff I'd written with James or for James. And um, it was that and then some, a few original tunes as well. And I said, well, you know, Russ and Lee, they're probably not, you know, they're probably not in town. These guys are just two of the most in-demand musicians in the world. So I just assumed they weren't there. But then when I called, they were around. And they were actually prepared to work for a fraction of what these guys get. I mean, you know, what I paid them was about five minutes of their time, you know. Um, but they came down, and, and I guess it was because of And, and uh, we got together and we started playing these tunes of mine. And it was obviously great. Steve and I did a lot of pre-production before we went into the studio. And uh, Without then it turned out I, I was wait, waiting for Wad to be around, but Wad was out with Stevie or Joe Walsh, I can't remember. And um, when he came back, it was the last day that we were in the studio. The studio was Jackson's studio. So when he came in and started to play, I went, oh, well, here we go. You know, Now it just seemed like an obvious thing to do to make it a band. We were kind of being offered, I was, or I was kind of being offered another gig in Japan. I said, well, we got to go as a band. You know, I want to be in this band. You know, I always wanted to be in a band and I always wanted to be in a band with these guys. So finally, it happened. And we got to uh, get together. And was it a no-brainer for all of you? Like, this is possible. This is what we want to do. This is the thing. Yeah. We've so. been waiting our whole life to do this. Yeah. It, it, was, it was the perfect next step. It was funny because when Danny and I started the pre-production, we didn't even know who the musicians were going to be. That's right. We were just, let's get these, he got the deal. We went in the studio and started, and then it turned into this. And when Wadi came that Sunday, for me personally, it's like, 
oh, well, this is the best band I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, was it ever weird for you because these guys had so much history? Like, was it just organic that you be a part of this? Well, you know, both things happen at the same time. I, you know, at the, on one hand, it was totally organic. And on the other hand, it's like, oh, uh, Waddy and Danny, those are the guys who taught me how to play guitar. And mm -hmm. Russ and Leland are the guys who taught me what a rhythm section is supposed to sound like. But at the same time, what I do, it, it, it just made a lot of sense. And for you guys, did it seem totally, yeah. this is right? Was there ever, any, was there ever does, any question? I just yeah. want to add, Vicky, that Steve does what Waddy and I don't do. In other words, Steve is a phenomenal finger picker and, and classically trained. He also has a high tenor voice, which neither of us had. So now he's filling in a space. He can do what Wad and I don't do. Yeah. Well, so that means it makes a big, big bad sound when we open it. He bridges that gap between my sound and Danny's sound. Yeah. And he always finds the right thing to be doing. Uh, which, sometimes, which sometimes is leaving the room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he knows when to split. But it's it's a fascinating thing. Like to be in a band with three guitar players could be a total disaster. Be just like watching the end of a bodybuilding contest. Um, but these guys, everybody is so unique in their own voice that they're really there's there's never really a conflict with them. Everybody finds their own spot pretty easily. It's not like they really have to work at it. Each guy has such a unique voice, and it becomes more orchestral. At that point, there nobody's caught, you know, getting in the way of the next guy. It, sometimes it is, but they resolve it really quickly just by discussing things. Yeah. And Russ and I just sit in the back, looking at each other, going, "What the fuck?" <laughs> <laughs> These guys hurry up, yeah, really. But <laughs> you, you, that was the right adjective, the orchestral. It, it is quite orchestral what we do. It really is. I think it was interesting because on the first on the Danny record, there was there were keyboards. And it, I don't think any of us ever thought that we, you know, it was like, it was pretty obvious that we did not need to keep We weeded them out pretty quickly, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and it was Jim Cox, who's one of the greatest keyboard the greatest. players in the business. Uh -huh. and, he, and he played beautifully on it. But we, this really became, I have people all the time asking, you know, well, this is like the section. How come you don't have keyboards? And I said, no, this is not like the section. This is an incarnation of what once was and taken to another direction and the real the real essence of this stuff is a guitar driven band and uh, and it works beautifully like this so we just haven't it, it's been an intentional thing nobody's been like slagging on any keyboard players or anything like that this is just this is the the, the sound that this band has created and that's what we're we're committed to and, you guys uh, never said uh we should do we should try that it was just this is this just felt right. No, and if there's oh. any keyboard parts, we could somebody in the band could cover it if it was really needed. I mean, there's the ability there to do that. But right. so far, the writing that, that that the guys have done is really is really based on this the instrumentation we have. Yes, you're a rock and, and, and roll also band. making it so that you can play it live and have and people won't be going, oh, what, what happened to the keyboard part on this? I mean, whatever we're cutting in the studio, we're going to be able to play live and it'll probably even be better for the fact that we're going to have an audience in front of us and we're playing it and that just mm -hmm. bumps the juices that much higher. Do you, this do time you... Where, we, where we take a keyboard part, mm -hmm. like Werewolves of London, it's a keyboard part. Well, I just... Right. 
we play it on guitar, you know, and, and, and uh, Danny, you know, has songs that, uh, you know, like Dirty Laundry, that's a keyboard, mm -hmm. Danny plays it on guitar. I love that. Uh, do you, do you guys think that this pandemic has both helped and hurt this process? Like, cause I get the feeling that in a way with you guys, it's kind of helped you in a way given you a lot of opportunity to write and to record music and I, I don't know but but is it a drag I mean are you a, is it a drag because you can't get out there and play more like how, yes. how does that all that no feel? We, we took we took advantage of a bad situation that's yeah. all that happened I wouldn't give the I wouldn't give the pandemic any fucking credit no it, it, or was, anything. <laughs> it was a real challenge and a real pain in the ass to have to do what we did we made we, how many videos did we make? We never even saw each other. Four videos. Oh we, yeah, at least. We were in the same room. That's crazy. You know, yeah, we, we, we were buying Amazon, like, you know, struck gold with us. We had like backdrops and, you know, green <laughs> screens and fucking lights and, you know, everything to make these videos by ourselves. And we had a wonderful editor putting it all together. And, and before, before the editor, we, we challenged ourselves. And right. so you guys were each shooting your, your, your own, did you have a cameraman yeah. with you or were you no. doing your own stuff? No, it's shooting your like own iPhone. Yeah. iPhone <laughs> on a tripod. Yeah. iPhone on a tripod. It's really good, the stuff they got. Amazing. Yes, I, I've seen their, their videos and their, so I have a, and I have, Lee's I have, always doing something wacky. I have a question. I have a question. Yes. This is for Denny. Denny, yeah. when did it, when did it come across your desk that you decided you wanted to make a documentary about what the media a great family. question russ as soon as someone said do you want to make it, it was instant <laughs> who it said was, it was lisa roy that brought it up to greg Rich, right. like producer and then they came to me and i said yeah and it seems so like yeah it's almost like yeah it should be we should do that it's almost like how could we have not thought of that and then once we met in that studio that one day and we talked about it, I kind of, you know, was hoping that you guys would say, yeah, let's do it. And, but if you guys didn't have the immediate family in terms of that grouping, and you guys were just five guys on their own hanging out, I don't think it would work because- No. Do you know what I mean? That the, you guys being together as a group now meant so much more because Listen, there's so many of these great studio players. We could go through the whole list of town, through the whole town. There's so many versions of this and that, but this made so much more uh, sense because of the love and the brotherhood that you guys have. And, and that was the difference between the Wrecking Crew and you guys. I mean, there was a lot of differences. I don't mean that they didn't love each other, but they didn't hang out like you guys did for 50 years. You know, my father never went. And they didn't write. No, they didn't. They didn't write. They didn't. Mm -hmm. They weren't. They went those three-hour sessions, three, 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 do four of those a day, and then move on, move on, move on. Never went on the road. You guys bonded as family, and you took it in a different direction. You took music in a different direction. I'm not belittling them or anybody. It's yeah, just yeah. the way it was. You know, and Danny, you're really right. That that makes it a, a better a better film because it's not just about the music that we played no. on collectively and individually with all these great artists, 
but it's the, the you know the personal story of like how we how we are together as a group yeah. and that that makes it i can see how you would be interested in that just as opposed to making another documentary no. about all the guys that played on these songs no because it, it, that's hard that's yeah. really hard to do it that way you know if there's no hook like a song for you guys if there's no hook it's just a bunch of you know notes blah, 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 yeah. blah, you know. and you right. guys are exactly. complete originals there is there isn't another you don't exist anywhere else there are, are there any other musicians that have been together as long as you guys have is that even oh, toto yeah carl boys or you know all those i mean again well, I, it's yeah terrific. but i don't mean i don't mean bands i mean players that have played together and for various artists that have oh, yeah. but there, yeah, there there have been but they're but they're not around anymore yeah, uh, or they're around, but they're not. They haven't come together as a band, you know. See the, the thing that together, you know, you know, Billy Payne, you know. There's a, a lot of guys that we came up with that are still working. No, I don't mean that. I mean together. I no. mean the fact that 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 well, Leland and it, it, Russ yeah. have worked together on and 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 Dan, especially you two though, have really done like everything together. Yeah. Does that exist in other? Has that? I think, I think well, the stuff band. stuff was a band a little bit like that because Richard T and Gad and all those guys they played on lots of other different things, mm -hmm. and they were a band together too. But you know, the, but you it know, was short lived. That, that's yeah, it was very that short lived. The thing I think that's such an interesting hook of this project is when you're watching the movie and you're seeing this group of guys for the most part a half a century ago. And here they are at this point, still making new music, still yeah. playing together and still touring. That's the thing. There's been lots of really cool rhythm sections, but some of them had like three years. Right. They disbanded yeah. and different, you know, they, they had a run and then it was over. But we've been tenacious in terms of we've all had different things that we've done, but it always comes back to this. And this has been a constant for over 50 years. And I think yeah. that's the thing that's so cool. The longevity is, is just says it all. I love Absolutely. With these guys, longevity is just amazing. And, and the music's the, still fresh. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like it's not a like a tribute or, or like a nostalgia band going out and playing their 80s hits. And you go, oh, it's kind of the same, bunch of the same guys, but they haven't moved forward. They're still living off of the stuff they did 20 years ago or 25 years ago where this new album is as good a stuff as this this group of players has ever played on. Oh, I can't and wait so to hear it. So it's one of these things that it's constantly moving forward. It's that, that not resting on past laurels. Back to the writing. That's back to the writing. Yeah. When, when is this album dropping? The best record ever made. When, when will this the, be dropping? The, sing, the singles when? At the end of the we don't know yet. Month? We don't know yet. We're hoping for uh, at the end of November, I think. But it is the same. What and what, what, do we know what the first single is? Steve, were you telling me what the first single is? Is that the first single? First single, I'm going to put it back to Wadi because it would never have occurred to me in a million years to do what we did. And, and Wadi brought, I'll let him tell the story, but it's a, it's it's very different for us. So Wadi, tell, tell him how we, why we're doing the first single. We're doing a song by Sparks called uh, The Toughest Girl in Town, which is a beautifully simple, very simple, straight ahead, melodically beautiful song, great lyric. And uh, uh, several months ago- The only the only cover you're doing. That's the only cover, yeah. 
and uh, we we got on to Sparks a few few months, six months ago, probably by now, and just were overwhelmed by the amount of music these guys have been making since since the five of since the four of us have been working in Los Angeles. Those guys have been working in Los Angeles. They have like twenty eight albums. They live in Santa Monica. We've never met one of them. Really? We've never come across any one of them. They wow. have so many songs. And, uh, and I went through this list of their songs and all of a sudden there was this one song that just reeked of needing us to do it. <laughs> and it's a beautiful fucking song. And it's called The Toughest Girl in Town. Steve sings a beautiful lead vocal to it. It's a, it's a really, really strong tune. And we're, oh, I can't so wait cool. to hear this. I'm excited. And we never thought we'd be doing a cover, but it was just, it was irresistible. I said, you guys, you got to hear this song. This Did you is- all agree right away? Yep. That song is irresistible. <laughs> wow, that's really cool. So, Denny, wh- how, how, long, how long ago did you start working on this? Uh, on the documentary? August 2019. And I still remember that day, like I said, I said, yes, that'd be great. And they said, great. And then Danny said, well, Carol King can do an interview in three weeks. I'm like, oh, shit. That was that like now it's serious. And I say, oh, shit, because, you know, yeah, we had a concept. How did you prepare? Tell tell us, how how did you put a concept together? He wrote a check. (laughs) Was that? (laughs) He wrote a check. Yeah, I wrote a check. That, well, that was the problem. I don't tell anybody. I wrote the first. <laughs> My wife isn't listening. I hope no. Uh, we did write the first check, but um, <laughs> we basically, I, you know, I just quickly. I knew what the story was. The difference between the two, these guys, nineteen sixty. My dad's thirty. When they're doing that Phil Spector stuff and all that, they're kind of breaking into it. They're already kind of established at that point. Those session players, the Wrecking Crew. They're coming out of the jazz thing, but they're doing all that. Right. These guys, you know, when they're doing Sweet Baby James in Tapestry and all those things, you guys hadn't had much recording in terms of, uh, they weren't the session guys, the legends I always think of them as. And Peter Asher was the one that lightened me one day in that interview. I said something to him and I went, oh my God, I keep thinking of all these names I grew up with, they're the legends, but they weren't legends on those first albums that were listening to them. Do you know what I mean? And Sweet Baby James and Tapestry and, and Russ Blue, you know, Joni Mitchells, those are like mm-hmm. your first four albums. And you go, excuse but, me one second. How did yeah. Peter find each of you? Where did go he ahead. find where, where did Danny. he find you? Go ahead, Danny. Well, I met Peter a long time ago. Uh, my band, The King Bees in New York City, it's 1965, I think. Peter and Gordon were looking to do a um, uh, a short New England tour, East Coast mm-hmm. tour. And they were looking for a backup band like they had to do every time they came to the States. Mm-hmm. And somehow my band, the King Bees, got hired to back them up. And I mean, we were pretty good, you know. Uh, and we learned their songs and we went out and toured with them and I became very close friends with Peter at that point. Then, um, uh, I don't know what happened after that. You know, Peter and I, every time we would come to the States, we would hang out and became good friends. And still are. Mm-hmm. Um, you're very young. Next band I was in was right? Flying Machine with, with James Taylor. James, after the Flying Machine broke up, James moved to London. I put him in touch with Peter. Peter got him a deal at Apple. The rest is history. But then when 
he brought James, when uh, Peter brought James to L.A. to record, mm -hmm. the first thing we had was Russ, Peter found Russ uh, playing with John Stewart. And um, then Leland came along later, and we just, we just fell together. And, uh, you know, I've never played with a drummer as good as Russ. I, you know, I, I had no idea, you know. And uh, when, when Russ and Lee got together, that was the best, best musicians I'd ever played with in my life, you know. So I was um, completely thrilled to death to be playing with these guys. It was love at first sight for me. Russ, how did you, how did you meet Peter? How did he find you? Uh, like Danny said, I was playing um, with John Stewart. Who and was, he uh, happened, yeah. And, and, and there was another gentleman in the band uh, named Chris Darrow, who's a, mm -hmm. an amazing fiddle player and singer. And um, Chris knew Peter from London, from mm -hmm. some tours that he did back there. And Chris was one of the people that Peter contacted when he got into, came into L.A., to set up the sessions to record James's first Warner Brothers record. And so he called Chris and he said, I'm looking for a drummer. And Chris said, well, I'm playing with a young kid now in John Stewart's band. Why don't you come to a rehearsal? And Peter came to a rehearsal. And at the end of the rehearsal, much to John Stewart's chagrin, <laughs> he hired, hired me to go play with James on Sweet Baby James. I, I, Peter will tell the story. He did. John Stewart never forgave him for that. Yeah, so. <laughs> I bet I that's that. true. I bet that's true. And Lee, how did you how did you meet Peter? Um, I actually I was in a band called Wolfgang uh, in the late '60s, and our drummer had a friend named John Fishbeck who owned Crystal Recording Studios. And John used to hang out at our rehearsals. And one day he brought this friend of his who had just gotten back from England, who was James. Mm -hmm. And so James hung out for a day with us and he played us some of his songs and we weren't, oh man, this cat's great. And that was the end of it. And But when it came time to play the Troubadour uh, to start promoting James's album, um, they didn't have a bass player and James told Peter that he thought I would be the perfect guy for them. And they tracked me down and called me up and uh, I walked in and we started playing together and I just, I, I, like Coot said, I fell in love with these guys immediately. It was music unlike anything I had ever been doing. I was like heavily into Zeppelin and Hendrix and everything. And suddenly I'm working with like a, a not a folk artist, but a different kind of an artist. Mm -hmm. And the and the first, I think the first downbeat I played with Russ, I knew I wanted to have his child. <laughs> you know? And Cooch is you know, still one of my favorite musicians in the world. And it's been that way since the first note I heard him play. So. It, it was the most organic coming together of anything I've ever been involved with. It felt like we'd known each other forever, even though it had only been five minutes. And uh, and those early days were magic uh, out there. I mean, we none of us were really experienced at what we were doing. I mean, with studio work and stuff like that. So we were kind of like just we were thrown like right out of the frying pan into the fire. And uh, we were fortunate that we all had the goods at that point and uh so and th this always goes back to peter though peter insisted on james's music that our names appear in the credits on the album and that was like for the wrecking crew that was not it i mean when people mm -hmm. were listening to the right. papas and frank sinatra and the association and all, they didn't know it was the same band playing on all those things but for us we got creds and when right. when James hit, James was like the perfect representative of this new age and new direction in music. And people were starting to sign singer-songwriters 
and they looked at, at his album and saw our names and thought, I guess if it's good enough for James, let's call those guys. And I, I mean, I went from having all, 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 the only experience I ever had in the studio was doing a demo with the band Wolfgang that I was in. Basically, that was it, except mm -hmm. for a, when I was in 67 in a band called Group Therapy, and we weren't allowed to play on our record because the Wrecking Crew played on it. Wow. So, um, <laughs> it's, it's just That's all these ironic. things that came together. And like we we didn't touch, but Waddy and I met doing a Bobby Womack record. And uh, I, I fell in love. The minute Waddy walked in the, the, the door, I thought I met a, like a long lost brother that we were separated at birth. And So did you bring Waddy into this or Waddy, did you know Peter? How did you? I knew Peter through... Uh... I was very good friends with J.D. Souther, and I stopped by the studio one day when Peter was producing J.D. And uh, Peter, Peter can be very cold if he wants to be. If he doesn't know you and doesn't care to know you, he can be very, very cold. And I went by just to say hello to J.D. and he went, oh man, you're here, you gotta play. Because I always had my guitar in the car. I was doing mm -hmm. sessions already. Mm -hmm. And I saw Peter go, oh, Jesus Christ, <laughs> no, you know, so, but I set up at my little volume pedal and the first song that we did was JD's beautiful song, Simple Man, Simple Dreams. And I knew when I heard the vocal, I knew what to do. I knew my first entrance lick was gonna be what it was gonna be. And when I did it, Peter just sat up and went, what? What was that? You know, and then I did it again. I used to, I used to do what I call phony steel guitar. That's how I made my living in LA with a volume pedal and my Les Paul. And, uh, and Peter loved what I did right away. So he started to hire me. And, uh, but I, it was Lou Adler that actually put us all together the first time. Uh, I had met Leland. We played for Bobby Womack for the late Keith Olsen was producing that. And then Russell and I ran into each other one day on the street we both had the same 57 Chevy and uh, he still has his. <laughs> uh, and he said, you're Waddy? And I went, yeah, you Russ? He goes, yeah. He says, I got to go. He says, we'll be seeing a lot of each other. And, uh, and the next thing I knew, I got a phone call from Lou Adler's office that they want, he wanted me to come play on this session. And that's when I met Danny. That's him. And Danny, who I couldn't bear the thought of this guy Cooch because all I wanted to do was play on records and every record I saw it had the name Cooch on it. <laughs> Who is this guy? Why is he getting all this work? What is this? Stuff? Why is he getting this work? And as soon as we met, we fell in love with each other right away. And there was a reggae tune. We were both completely jonesed out by the harder they come in the reggae. So we instantly communicated. And that was the first time the four of us played together. And there was no... There, you guys always knew your. There was no jumping on each other or right. no competitive thing between no. the. Two. You would just. Oh no, we just. Danny knew what part of the neck to grab, and so did I. And we've never, ever had that problem. And and then, like I said, Peter then saw me playing with them, mm -hmm. with Carol, because Lou dug what I did with the boys, and the four of us were working together, and with Clarence. And the next thing I know, I'm working on this album for Carol King. And the next thing I know, I'm on the road with my brothers. And we played UCLA. And that's where Peter saw me playing with Carol and approached me about playing with Linda. And uh, 
then everything happened from there. And then from then they went to James and, you know, but Peter was the conduit for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. So, so Danny, let's get back to the doc. So you started in 2019, you, you're getting all these great interviews with Linda and James and Jackson yeah. and, and, and the pandemic happens. Yeah. What the hell do you do? What do you do with this footage you've got? What do you, you do? We have to figure well, like everybody else, figure out what we're going to do. And, and luckily the guys were, you know, they were cool about it. Let's go play it safe. Let's go do this. Let's get their score in the, in the, you know, in the can. And that's okay, what we so did. We only, we only had two, um, three, three actual interviews on Zoom uh, in this whole lock. And one's Keith Richards. Uh, the other one is Neil Young and Stevie Nicks and Steve Jordan. Those are four. But everybody else is live. So, and I, I interrupted you before. So yeah. when you were trying to build, when you were building the concept and you wanted to make oh, it kind of, yeah. Yeah. so tell us about I, that how that came so together yeah so basically i knew the concept i knew the differences between these two guys these two guys these two groups mm-hmm. you know these guys were able to bond with their artists versus my dad and his friends my dad and friends went to work for three hours then three hours they would change constantly whatever was the if it was a double date they got lucky it was longer for mm-hmm. one but they bonded that is the difference. These guys bond with their artists. They took what they recorded on the road and performed it the way it was supposed to be performed. And again, that uh, was Peter. Peter's doing. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, and my father never went. You didn't do that in the '60s. There were a lot of reasons you didn't leave town. You didn't leave town because the road wasn't paying shit. Right. You know, if you left town, so there's eight other guys ready to step into that contractor's or that seat of the guitar player. There's, you know, the contractor's just going to move to the next guy. And that's a lot of money, possibly, you're walking away from. So there was a difference in attitude. And once these guys took their music, became different. The music these guys are producing seems, I don't want to, and again, I don't, I sound like a degrading or pissing on the other music, but they, took their time with this because you had that they had the chance to take their time to develop and be put themselves into it and want for more creativity. That's how I look at it. Mm-hmm. So that's how they become more closer as a group of musicians. You know, I'm sure there'll be others that say you're full of shit, but that's how I took it. And once we ran with that and then every interview was like, oh, my God, it was the easiest interview to get. Once someone got a hold of whatever, Carol or Linda or James or whatever, absolutely, they said. They love these artists. Or they, the artists love these guys like no one. I mean, I've never seen that before. You know, and it was so easy. And they could have I can't wait to that. see this film. Okay, so so it's finished. It's, it's finished. It's, it's being sent to, you've, you've, seen, you've all seen it. Yeah. I yeah. assume that you all think the world of it. It's blown away. Well, I, very, very. Like, is it is it as good as you could possibly imagine it could be? Yeah. Is it everything you'd want it to be? Better. Yeah. And more. I, I, oh, it's a hard thing for them. I, I, you know, I was like the other film. Long as they're happy, long as the musicians are happy, I feel good about it. And watching these guys, it is a hard thing. Like Wadi said, to watch themselves on the screen. I always remember what you said, Wadi. The two things that you said, or one thing you said was, 
he was in shock and I could see you teary eyed. He goes, I've never, you know, you guys have all done hundreds of video or documentaries over the years, but it's always about someone else, but not to talk about themselves or someone else talking about them. So it's a weird concept. And, and for them to allow me to take that on that I, you know, thank God they allowed me and thank God they were as kind as they were to give me, you know, the, you know, their message and, their love because they don't the other thing is they don't hold back none of you hold back oh they don't I promise you none of them hold back <laughs> so but, you know, I mean, there's no bullshit you know and they don't need to bullshit even if they had because they, they you know they're not in, trying to impress anybody and um they are I, who they are they're all real yeah it's great yeah and then jackson's great line was when jackson saw it i always remember he was like stunned he goes i've known these guys for over 50 years and i i, I didn't know that about you know certain things yeah. and that was really cool to see that did you guys were you guys surprised by any of the interviews and and the things that they said about you were there any surprises for you not really true sure. I, I was surprised at a few things. We agreed to do it right away. Uh, they were going to say nice things about us, of course. Or otherwise, right. they said, no, I don't want to do it. You know, but it they all really did. Touching. Were there any, any new things that popped up, maybe, that you didn't know about something that else? Someone else talked about someone there were, else? There were surprises all through it, really, I think. There were some, I there think was, so, too. Yeah. There were surprises, yeah. things, that, things that, you know, that I thought I knew the way they were. And then I hear it from Russell's point of view or from Danny's point of view. And it was like, oh, wow, I never even conceived of it that way. Now he's looking at us from a whole different point of view. So it's wild to hear his take on it. it, it it's it, it's shockingly uh, pretty fucking good, Danny. <laughs> you know, J J James Taylor says something in, the, in his interview, and I'm going to paraphrase, but he it kind of goes like he says, uh, and James speaking in his very stoic way, yeah. uh, he says, I cannot stress enough how important the contribution that these musicians made to my music. And then he says it again, he goes, I cannot yeah, stress yeah. that enough. You know, so. and, and, and it was, I look, I got goosebumps. I do too. I, I, I'm like, you right say that right. about what James said. <laughs> Because I was there and I still get goosebumps every time they say something like that. Yeah. Because it was, those are the interviews I could easily get flustered by. I, you know, I'm look, these are the legends, you know, you guys are legends, but these are the next legends, you know, I grew up with us. And it was the kindest interviews. Linda, I mean, the, the kindest. How, how is Linda? She was fabulous, you know, it was hard, you know. The fact that she did that, you know, when her her doc just came out. Her doc is and, fantastic, yeah. Yeah, fabulous. And it was so sweet to see her. And I think the greatest thing about Linda was when she laughed. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. She couldn't stop herself from laughing when she'd be telling a story about with Wadi or Danny or so. It's it just the funniest things. And she just like a little devilish girl, you know, Aww. like a, you know, she was like a devil. You could tell she Aww. had such a twinkle in her eye and you know she could be a bad girl <laughs> was a, very, a real road dog girl you know? uh, what well, she says and she oh, says there she goes she goes album tour 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 
Yeah. Yeah. On the road her whole life, that girl. She. I know, and, and but the love that you guys and you know, all of them, and you know, even Don Henley. You know, we talked about you know, you know the relationship between Don and Danny, and coming from two different perspectives. You guys both had you know, your memories and you both respect each other, but you also butted heads. And I know, you know, we both, they all talk about it. That but got in into the, the dock. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And, but the respect for each other is so high, you kind of push that aside. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You joke, you, it's like you look at pain in the past, you kind of forget a lot of pain. Oh, you everybody know, you, romanticizes you know, the past. That's- Yeah, and we, yeah. And, you know, yeah. but I think, you know, would you want to do a tour with so and so anymore? Hell no. But also, you know, you, know, you come away from a session having done what you think is a, a good job. You know, you you did what what was needed, and you might have even gone a little beyond it. But to hear these amazing artists talk about what we did for them is really mind blowing. You know, it wow, really puts it in. I can't period. wait to see this. Okay, so so. It was post-production crazy hard in the pandemic. I mean, that must have made yeah, it so no, much No, that wasn't so much. Post-production no. is not that hard in a okay. sense, other than not being able to work with an editor in the same room for a while. Mm -hmm. But it took us a while. We had three different editors. Ryan Nunnerly started it. Then Chris uh, started, came on. And then um, uh, Justin Williams had finished it. It was in between the producers, uh, you know, Greg and Jack, and John, uh, Jonathan, I mean, we all came together and figured it out. Um, you know, we still, there's a, still those tweaks you want to make, but we'll see, I'm sure we'll see how it plays. Um, I think we're being accepted into these festivals knows we're on the right track. And a so, few people so that this is, it, you, so you're on the festival, you're doing the festival thing now. Yes. And Go so to Woodstock, Woodstock first, which is fabulous. You know, Woodstock is on September 30th. Um, then I go to Wichita, which is Tallgrass Film Festival, and I do that on Saturday. And these guys go to Nashville, and then I meet up with them on Sunday to play in Nashville on the first. And so there's the go ahead. There's is, is there a screen? Is, is there going to be a Q and A and a screening? Oh, a absolutely! Yeah, there's Q and A's after every one of them. That, mm -hmm. you know. So, and the first one is uh, Leland and Steve will be there in Woodstock. Uh, I'm by myself on Saturday, then then Danny and Lee and Steve join us in Nashville. Uh, poor Wadi and Russ, you know, they'll have to, they'll have to ch catch up with us. And so yeah. how how challenging is it to get a distributor for, I mean, a documentary, notoriously hard. I mean, it took, we don't want to talk about the last one. How many years I started from what, guys? 19 years from day one of shooting to finish. So we don't have that much time. I don't have that much time on this. But I'm there's not, all these streaming. Yeah, it's not. It'll happen. It'll happen. I'm not worried about it because Wrecking Crew really showed the uh, naysayers. Uh, fuck you. We're going to do it. Mm -hmm. And we did it. And that did very well. And everybody's waiting for this one. So I, I know it will be fine. I'm not worried about it. Also, you know what the biggest thing is? Everybody needs to tell everybody, and they need to go to the website, see the the sizzle. Let's call it a sizzle. I don't want to call it. It's a there, sizzle. There is a sizzle on there. 
Yeah. Okay. So it, tell. So so let's give everybody the information. Yeah. So how they go, can help. How they can find. If you go everything. to immediate. It go to the website, the film website, which is immediatefamilyfilm.com. Mm -hmm. You'll okay. see the sizzle. I say sizzle. Uh, it's not sure, but it is. Um, and then once you do that, then sign up because once we have everybody signed up, we'll just give you an outtake. Uh, we had a great outtake the other day of Russ. I don't. Know if, did you get to see it, Russ? No. The outtake. Oh, you didn't get to see it? All right, no. I'll send it to you. It's great. Um, it's really fun. It's Russ talking about opening up at Wembley Stadium. And the and he goes, it's one of those oh my moments. I was really nervous because I eat me and Joe Lala had to go out and start ninety thousand, you know, ninety thousand people in Wembley Stadium doing the sixteen bars by ourselves. Um so it, it, I have that's this, this is where the fun begins because I got each one of these guys, there's so much stuff they gave me, could never go in that documentary. So I'm able to pull my favorite lines from Steve and from, you know, Wadi and da da da. And we're just going to just How pepper fun. it. If you sign up, you'll get those. How fun. And will you also do like a director's cut? Will, you'll ha will you have will you'll have a lot of this no, stuff? No, I mean, no. No, I'm, no. No. no one wants to see that five hour cut. <laughs> so <laughs> just give it a different way. <laughs> well, I am uh I am so excited to hear the new album. I am Denny, uh, I'm hoping you're gonna sit you're gonna feed me a little stuff to, to watch oh, on my own. Please. I'm, you know, I should have I'm sorry I didn't feed you earlier. I, I yeah I I just cannot wait to idiot. see this. Huh? What's that one? <laughs> personal, there. A little personal. There. Take it easy, pal. <laughs> I, I, um, family, family show. This is family time. This that's is it. not a fucking family show, please. No, <laughs> Fuck immediate family show. What? Um, I just adore each one of you uh, so much, and it's so thrilling to see this happen for all of you. And I, my gut says that this is going to be something that is going to be beyond your wildest dreams all of you i i see massive i can't wait till the the world really opens up so that you guys are just doing what you should be doing and doing it together all the time thank you thank you vicky thank you i so appreciate all of you and i i'm so grateful that you uh spent this time with me I can't wait to see Danny. You have to show me the film, please. You have to I'm, show me the film. All right, don't tell anybody. I'm going to I show it to you. I won't tell a soul, but I, yeah, I just yeah. have to see it. No I, secret. I love you all. And Steve, you got to send me some tracks. I got to hear some tracks. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. But you have to let him know. But you have to let us know what you think of the movie. But Steve ain't sending you nothing. Yeah. I, wow. I, prom I, I promise I will. I promise I will. Thank you all so much for doing this. I adore Thanks, you. Vicky. Thanks, Vicky. Thanks so much. You all. Love you, Danny. Love you guys. Love you guys. Love you guys.